Fletcher drops Thibodeau. All he did was almost record double-digit sacks. Steps up in the pocket and it goes down. Guess who? Aiden Hutchinson. Here's a guy who has the work ethic and the talent. Now Willis taking a shot for the end zone and it's caught. First of all, I think Malik Willis from Liberty and Kenny Pickett from Pitt may even be gone by the time they pick at 50. Welcome in to another edition of First Draft. The NFL offseason has begun for all 32 teams as the Super Bowl is now behind us. I am Field Yates, joined as always by Mel Kuyper Jr. and Todd McShay, fresh off of their Super Bowl parties. Mel, what was the scene like at the Kuyper compound yesterday to watch Rams and Bengals? Very quiet. Very quiet. I don't like to be bothered. I did not have a party we were talking before. I was just you know teasing a little bit about 60 people here. Never, never going to happen. Oh, Kuyper, here you go, man. I, you had 60 I had, people. I had to get you guys it's thinking okay. it was something it wasn't. Nah, 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 nobody was either. here. It was Kim and I. Kim could care less. I was watching it. And I, I don't like to be bothered, as you know. I'm in the, in the, uh, the room. No, nobody bothering me at all. And enjoyed the game. I, I thought it was a game where, guys, and we'll get into it, I have notes on the game, right? Normally you have like two or three things. There's about eight, nine different things that needed to happen, happened to this game that were kind of crazy. So we'll get to that. But I thought it was a, not a great game, but an interesting game. Todd, what was the scene like for you over at your place? Well, I thought I had a light night, and I, I can't <laughs> tell whether Kuiper really had 60 people over or, or he was a hermit once again. But that actually, <laughs> never the latter wouldn't surprise me. Yeah, it would not surprise me at all. One of these days, Field, I'm just going to roll into Maryland, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump on his couch. I'm going to have chips and all sorts of, all sorts of stuff, and I'm just you know, cracking crackers all over the place, leaving a mess. I'm going to make him clean it up, not not Kim, and uh, and I'm going to enjoy a game with Kuiper. I'd love to see it because you know he's in the rocking chair, yep. going back and forth like this, uh-huh. writing down some notes, uh-huh. talking to me about my next mock draft uh-huh. in 2023. What's, what's, what's the mock draft for 2023 going to look like? That's that's how a game would go. By halftime, I would call for an Uber and get out of there. So I, think- I I had a very relaxing night. A few few family friends, nothing big, but it was it was a great game. It was it was interesting, kind of back and forth. And I just thought the ending was so perfect. You, you, first of all, you've got a depleted Rams team. Matthew Stafford, he's got one receiver to go to, and Cooper Cup just finds a way. Double coverage, bracket coverage, you know, high-low coverage. No matter what they were throwing at him, Cooper Cup was just going to find a way to get open or get held and pass interference. And, and then Joe Burrow gets an opportunity. Now, he, he wasn't able to get it done. And if there was one player you wanted to see, if you're just kind of looking at it from a non-Rams-Bengals perspective, if there was one player who was going to end this great run for Joe Burrow, had to be Aaron Donald. I mean, the work that this guy has put in, just going back to his days at Pitt, watching him, and I remember, I'll never forget talking to the coaches and talking to their training staff saying, we've never been around a guy like this who works as hard on a Monday morning after a game as he does Saturday afternoon during a game. And he's a leader just through absolute pure dedication and work ethic. And to know he's been doing this now for, what, 10 years in the league, another few years in college, all he's had to go through to get to that spot, fourth down and one, and he's the guy who comes up and makes the big play and ends the drive and and shuts down Joe Burrow. I I just thought it was fitting. If it was going to end that way, it was the right player to do it because Aaron Donald, in my opinion, has been the best defensive player in the NFL for the last decade. Yeah, he's certainly climbing up the ranks of the best to ever play the game regardless of position. He and Cooper Cup both could have easily been named Super Bowl MVP last night. That goes to Cup, who had nine catches. 
excuse me, eight catches, two of which went for a touchdown. Just a remarkable season for Cooper Cup. But let's spin things forward because this, this is first draft after all. And the Rams, as we know, have about as little draft capital over the next couple of years as anybody in the NFL. As of right now, and compensatory picks have not been given out, but using over the cap and Nick Corte, who was the godfather of compensatory pick selections, the Rams figure to have, based off of players they lost last year and the fact that they're, or a member of their scouting department, Brad Holmes, got hired to be the Lion General Manager, they figure to have a third-round pick this year, a fourth-round pick this year, their own fifth-round pick, three sixth-round picks, plus two seventh-round picks. Again, most of those being either picks they acquired via a trade or to the compensatory pick formula. So Mel and Todd, you guys aren't going to be very busy this year when it comes to analyzing the Los Angeles Rams as compared to teams like the Jets and the Giants and others that have all this draft capital in Philadelphia. But Mel, I'll ask you this. Is there anything that you think we can learn from the way in which the Rams were willing to sacrifice draft capital from future years to go all in for this season? Or is what the Rams did this year a unique, maybe not once in a lifetime, but once every decade or so approach from a team that actually works. Yeah, it wasn't easy. you got to give Les Snead a lot of credit, guys, for what he was able to accomplish here. There was, there was competition for Matthew Stafford, okay? Other teams that wanted him, particularly Carolina. You think about what happened with Von Miller bringing him in, Odell Beckham Jr. Everything kind of fell right that these players, number one, were available, okay? And the teams that had him didn't want to keep him. And then the other teams didn't offer more or didn't jump in and be more aggressive there. So I think you do this. And I said it all along. This was Super Bowl or bust. And not just to get there. They had to win this game. And a lot had to happen for them to win this game. You know, Cincinnati Bengals, everybody thought if they win the turnover battle, the Bengals are winning this game. Well, they won a turnover battle. They didn't turn it over. The Rams did twice, and the Bengals lost, mm. okay? You think about the, the penalties we talked about and what it took for the Rams in this game to overcome Odell Beckham not being there, okay? Odell Beckham gets hurt. If he doesn't get hurt, maybe there is some, some separation, some margin there. Maybe it's a more convincing victory, but he did get hurt. I thought it was going to be like the Alabama game where he had Jamison Williams get hurt after Mechie got hurt and Alabama lost because they lost their receiver. Here, Beckham hurt. Was that going to cost the Rams? Almost did, guys. Uh, so you think about all the different things uh, that went on for the Rams to get this win. It was well worth it. If they won this game, everything they did, was worth it. If they would have lost, then you could sit in here and critique it. But they had to win this football game. They did. You can talk about the penalty on Logan Wilson, which I thought was should never have happened. You can't call a game that way until the end and then change up the way you called it. You can't do that. But at the end of the day, the Rams earned it. They overcame, like I said, the turnover battle, the injury to Beckham. They had no running game at all. Uh, yet. And I thought Stafford and Burrow, to sit here, guys, think about this. When you saw Stafford go down with Reader, that ankle, I don't know how he survived that injury. Burrow screaming in pain, looking like, oh, boy, is this an ACL? What's going on here? Ankle, knee. That both quarterbacks looked like they sustained serious injuries. What would have impacted next year for both these teams, yet to have them come back and play and not miss any time was pretty amazing. Yeah, I, I, I look at this, and it's remarkable what the Rams did. You know, Les Snead, he's a, he's a different thinker, and I mean that in a positive way. He thinks outside the box, and that's exactly what they had to do. Now, I don't know that it can be replicated. I don't know that yeah. this is something you go into a year trying to do, but I, I think they saw their window and, and have attacked, and, and really their window has been the last few years. If you look back, I mean, they haven't had a first-round pick. I think uh, this will be the fifth year 
that the Rams do not pick in the first five rounds. And, and unless they acquire one moving forward via trade, they don't have a, a first-round pick until, I think, 2024. So that'll be a seven-year span where an organization in the NFL doesn't pick in the first round. It's, it's remarkable. But Les Snead and this organization had, had a plan. And, you know, so many years we saw with the Washington Redskins. They won the offseason. The big-name free agents, the big prices, stretching the salary cap to, it, to the, you know, the limits of it. And they never, they never won. They won, this, they won free agency. They won the offseason. And they never did anything in the season to, you know, to make up for or to pay dividends to what they invested. So to me, this was a different model. This was, all right, we drafted well for a while. Now we're going to bring in free agents and we're going to plug spots. And really the, the whole change was Matthew Stafford. That's the glue that was missing. Not shocking at the most important position in sports, in my opinion. So uh, what they did was unique. I don't even think you would want this as your model. I'm not saying it was a bad idea, because they, but they saw this situation. They saw their roster. They saw what they needed. And then they, they seized on opportunities, as Mel was talking about, to get some players. And yeah, they had to spend some first-round picks and some third-round picks, but then there were some fifth- and sixth-round picks. Sony Michelle, I think, was for a fifth or a sixth-round pick. So there were some guys that they brought in and, and traded later-round picks for, but they wanted that apples-to-apples scouting comparison in the NFL to in the NFL versus having to draft college guys and develop them because they knew their window was going to be short. Now, what do you do if you're less need? You know, you work off the hangover for about 48 more hours, and then you get back to work. <laughs> And you got to figure out, you know, all right, we got a bunch of aging guys. Aaron Donald talked about maybe if, if we win the Super Bowl, he, he's gone, he's going to retire. How long's Matthew Stafford here? We've got a lot of elder statesmen. Mm-hmm. And how are we going to replenish this roster and kind of build from the back end to make sure we don't wake up a year or two from now and have a complete rebuild on our hands? Yeah, they deserve a ton of credit, by the way, for finding players not in the first round. They still have the sixth most homegrown players on their roster amongst all NFL teams this hmm. year. Some late round, even undrafted gems. by That's remarkable. Need. Yeah, really impressive job by the entire scouting department. Let's go to the Bengals. And it feels a little bit oversimplified, but perhaps too much of a problem to ignore, Mel, that if you're Cincinnati and you currently own the 31st pick in the draft and you have Every single one of your picks this year and for really the next four years, actually, uh, and plus an extra seventh-round pick from the Giants. So you have just a very normal amount of draft capital. feels like if you can find an offensive lineman or two or four, you might have to. Yeah, you couldn't do it all in one draft. They brought in Jackson Carmen, but obviously Jamar Chase, the Penny Sewell whole debate, it worked out great for the Bengals and through Tobin. They made the right call. You can't get everything fixed in one draft. They still got to the Super Bowl, almost won it. The offensive line was bad all year. Joe Burrow was sacked more than any other quarterback. Look how many times he was sacked in the Tennessee game. Nine could have been ten. Should have been ten. This game, how many times was he sacked? Even at the end, that would have been a sack. So, again, you're talking about, uh, you know, an offensive line's got to be fixed. Joe Burrow had the knee injury t- uh, the first year, almost injured in this game, and all the other sacks he took. Think about that. Just to survive the season for Joe, very important, and he did. But you can't have this happening. You can't have Joe Burrow you know, getting sacked more than any other quarterback in the league again this coming year. They know they have to fix that. I think they're going to attack it. It's not a great offensive line. You're going to get into the depth of the, of the positions, and you got to really do your scouting. Do some really wise scouting and to make some good decisions and eliminate some guys that may be overrated, pick the right guy. It's not going to be easy evaluating these offensive linemen. they got to get multiple guys, multiple offensive line picks. They have, what, five of the top 140 you're talking about, uh, you know, picks that uh, you know, are going to be probably three of those picks. I think a minimum three are offensive linemen. 
Yeah, and I, I look at the Bengals and I, and I see, you know, so, so much we talk about these first rounders leading up to the draft, right? And, and then you go back and you look four or five years later and it's like, well, they, they hit on about 50% of them. The Bengals have done a really good job of hitting on their early picks. You know, obviously Joe Burrow was, was, a, it, it was an easy choice at the, at the time. Sometimes you got to get lucky and be in the right situation. They were, and they, they made the right decision. But even T. Higgins drafting him in the next round after Joe Burrow, and then coming back and getting another weapon, that's the other thing. When you get Jamar Chase, do they go offensive line? We all debated it. Do we take an offensive tackle here? Uh, Panay Sewell was the guy we all said it could, you know, it's 50-50. They take Jamar Chase, who had the record-setting uh, season with, with LSU back in 2019 with Joe Burrow, or do we take an offensive tackle because we've got to protect this guy better than we did in our rookie year? And, and they decided to go with the weapon. And, and really, he was the biggest difference mm-hmm. offensively and this, for problem. this entire organization this year because they had that go-to guy, a difference maker, and, and he became one of the best wide receivers in, in the entire National Football League. So they've hit on their guys, and they realized in the last two years, we've got to get playmakers. We've mm-hmm. got to be better. They had a good defense for a long time. But they weren't winning enough games. They had to get, they had to spice things up offensively. And by bringing in Burrow, obviously that that changed everything. But with Higgins and and Chase in two consecutive drafts, that really opened things up for the Bengals and made them a completely different football team. Yeah, the shame of it, guys, is that the Bengals didn't win the Super Bowl because of what's going to happen in the AFC. And, and you think about, well, the Bengals, are, you got a 25-year-old quarterback, you got Jamar Chase, you got all these other players, right, that got you to the Super Bowl, and you're going to be back pretty quickly. That's not necessarily going to be the case because of the AFC and the quarterbacks that are in this conference. So they had a great chance, not necessarily to steal a Super Bowl, but to actually win one. They lost a tough one back in 81 by, what, five points to the 49ers. Lost by four on that drive by Montana when he beat Boomer Sias in an 88 season, 89 Super Bowl. Then this one, so that's five, four, three. That's the losses, the point differential in their three Super Bowls. All three could have been wins or all three are losses. When they're going to get back, the AFC is brutal, guys. It's brutal. You have to beat Josh Allen. You got to beat Patrick Mahomes. You got to beat Justin Herbert. The list goes on and on and on in the AFC just to get to the Super Bowl again. So Marino got the one and lost early in his career, never got back. The, the, we can't assume that the Bengals are going to be back again just because of the conference they're in and the quarterbacks that are in that conference. So uh, they had a chance. The pass rush was the key. You go back to Les Snead to get the important pieces, the, the skill guys, the quarterback in Stafford, and the finishers, okay? The Von Millers. Get him. Get a Von Miller. You already had Aaron Donald, the corner and Ramsey who struggled mightily and was not a lockdown corner by any stretch of the imagination there. But the finish game's off. And I think the Bengals with Hendrickson and Hubbard Got that as well going. So I think the pass rush, it just tells you. Pass rush, guys that can finish games, and the skill players having, obviously, the quarterback. The pieces are in place for the Bengals. But, like I say, the AFC is going to be awful challenging. Yeah, Mel, some people brought up as an example when the Panthers reached the Super Bowl early in Cam Newton's career. And we all thought, hey, this is just the beginning, right? They may have fallen short, but they would be back. They, of course, never got back with Cam Newton as their quarterback. We're going to come back in just a minute to discuss Trades that involved first-round picks that were sent away in this year's draft, the 2022 NFL Draft in just a moment. But first, a word from our friends over at GEICO. How would you love a chance to save some money on insurance? Of course you'd love that. After all, who doesn't love a great deal, right? And when it comes to great rates on insurance for all the things in your life, GEICO can help. Like with insurance for your car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and your RV. 
even help with homeowners, condos, or renters' insurance. You can save even more with a special discount when you bundle your coverages. Plus, add the easy-to-use Geico mobile app, available 24-hour roadside assistance, plus more, and choosing to switch to Geico becomes an easy choice. Switch today and see all the ways you can save with great rates and discounts. It's easy. Simply go to Geico.com to get a rate quote or contact your local agent and get started seeing how much you could save. All right, here we are. We're back. And as I mentioned, we're going to talk about some of the trades that involved first-round picks this year being sent away. And some of these deals took place as recently as last draft or over a year ago, even further back in one case. I'm going to have Mel and Todd go back and forth here on four of these. With one, I want to get both of their thoughts. I think it's a little bit more of a close call. Um, So I'm going to go back and forth. I'll start with you, Todd, here. Last year, the Bears, under then-general manager Ryan Pace, moved up from pick 20 to pick 11 to grab Justin Fields. They also traded away their 2022 first-round pick to the Giants, which, as we know now, is the seventh overall pick. There were some later-round picks involved as well, but the crux of the deal was 20 plus the 2022 first for that pick number 11. If you were Chicago, do you think there's any buyer's remorse? I know it's an entirely different regime, but would you have made, now that we have the gift of one year, is it too soon to say anything about this deal? Or do you feel as though Chicago should have made this move 10 times out of 10? I I still think that it was the right move. And we saw what Justin Fields did this year and was not what Chicago was looking for. But you've got a new coaching staff coming in. You've got Matt Eberflus who comes in as the head coach, defensive mind, but he brings in Luke Getze, the offensive mind, obviously, is the offensive coordinator who comes in as, the, I think, he's the quarterback coach and the offensive pass game coordinator for the Packers. So he's kind of from that, that Shanahan tree, like all these guys seem to be now. And, and his main focus, as he said in his press conference, is I've got to build this offense around the quarterback. And I never got the feeling with the old regime that that was necessarily the case or that they weren't doing, you know, pressing the right buttons and, uh, and we said when Justin Fields is coming out, he, he needs time to develop. He's got the physical tools. He has the intelligence. But he's going to have to learn to get from read one to read two quicker. And there are certain things in his game that are going to have to improve. And, and we saw some of those flaws as a rookie. So to say right now that it was a mistake or they gave away too much, I, I think it's ridiculous. It's, it's too early. You've got to see him, especially with the new coaching staff, what he can do from year one to year two. And the other thing, too, just from an organizational perspective, you can't take enough hacks at getting a quarterback. If you don't have the guy, you keep swinging away. And if that, if that requires giving away a next year's first-round pick, then so be it. But to me, right now, we don't know. And from a, just a philosophical standpoint, I would always be in favor, just at that position, of giving away picks to try to go get a guy that we as an organization believe in after we've evaluated him on tape, talked to all of his coaches and everyone at Ohio State in in this case and and done all the background and research that we need to do. If that's the guy they fell in love with, then I have no problem with what they did to give it up. Now, would you like to have that pick this year? Yeah, but there's no quarterback this year that you're going to get that has more potential and physical tools than Justin Fields. So to, to me, it still makes sense what they did. I think the Bears made a great move, Todd. I think internally they got to feel like, hey, we got a chance to have a great quarterback here. We develop him. You mentioned Luke Getze, who was there with Aaron Rodgers, former Pitt Akron quarterback Luke Getze was, and a guy who was very highly regarded in NFL circles. So in terms of the quarterback, he has a guy now with him that can develop him. The talent's obviously in abundance. We saw flashes of brilliance from Justin Fields. The O-line and the receiver, yeah, that's what they need. They're going to be receiving entities and O-line to be fixed and improve for Justin Fields. But I think internally 
family and everybody that watched the Bears this year have to be excited about the, uh, the, the future. And it's going to be coming very quickly uh, for Justin Fields, that improvement and that development. And uh, they hope one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. So for the Bears, no, no argument there. For the Giants, they have to make these picks count. Obviously, you got two in the top ten. You have the you know, the offensive line's got to be better. They got to get better luck in terms of the injury front, and they got to get another pass rusher. But you can bet that one of these two picks will be an offensive lineman, whether it's Iquanu, Iquanu from NC State, whether it's a you know you talk about Neil will even be there. Uh, but Iquanu would be the guy to really look at the NC State left tackle uh, where they're picking with one of those two choices, and it would have to be the early first round pick, not the second one. So uh, both are in the top ten, but the first pick would be the one I think they would target the offensive tackle. No, I don't think we have to dive too deep on this next one. I think a lot of people feel similarly that if Seattle had the chance to undo the Jamal Adams trade, which shipped two first round picks to the New York Jets, there was also later draft capital involved. They probably would do so because while Jamal Adams is a rock-solid player, the reality is that two first-round picks can be cornerstones for five, ten years, and Jamal Adams, uh, the position he plays, is simply not delivering team-altering results. This feels like one that if Seattle could take a mulligan, they would, right? Or would you do feel differently on this one? No, I think what the Jets could do, ironically, field and ties, go back to that all-around safety type and Kyle Hamilton from Notre Dame, who would be a guy that somebody's going to take within those first top top five to seven picks overall, who's that versatile, rangy, tall, super athletic, super versatile safety. And they obviously have other neat areas as well, the Jets do. But for Seattle, they're in a division that's really going to be tough to deal with moving forward. We don't know what Kyler Murray's situation is going to be in Arizona. We obviously know with the 49ers, Trey Lance after Jimmy Garoppolo. How will that work out? Uh, The Rams with Stafford, obviously he's there. He's 34 years of age, but there's going to be some pieces moving around there. Uh, that they have to, obviously, because of the salary cap situation. So where does Seattle fit in uh, is the thing. Where's Russell Wilson's future? Is he going to be here for the next five years? What's going to happen with Russell Wilson? But for the Jets and for Joe Douglas, Todd, uh, he's got an opportunity this year. If Zach Wilson shows improvement in year two and he looked better late in the year, the offensive line obviously is an area they would address. They've got to get another weapon at wide receiver. Uh, They need another pass rusher and then the secondary. So there's areas to hit. They have the draft capital to do it, and this is up to Joe Douglas to get the right guys and find the right pieces, and, and the Jets can be right there. Obviously, Buffalo with Josh Allen's the team you're trying to get to. Mac Jones, we'll see where he is uh, moving forward. Obviously, you think about Miami with, with Tua, but I think in terms of Buffalo, that's the bar. It's been set extremely high now because they have the superstar quarterback in Josh Allen. Is Zach Wilson going to get close enough to Allen where if you have the personnel around him, you can still beat the Buffalo Bills? Mm-hmm. That's the challenge for the Jets. Really, everybody in the AFC and the NFL is to try to get to that point where Kansas City is with Mahomes, where Buffalo now is with Josh Allen, who could have been in the Super Bowl in the last 13 seconds. Maybe history would have been rewritten there. So I think the Jets have a great opportunity this year uh, to close that gap and in another year or two uh, start to be a playoff-caliber football team. Hey, Ty, can I just jump in real quick? Yeah, go. From, from the Seattle side, yeah. though? Like, I think we all agree it's, it's, it's one of the best trades in recent memory by a GM, by Joe Douglas for the Jets. Like, they're loaded. But Seattle, like, don't you feel like if they could redo this, they would say, you know what, maybe we'll hold on to those Yeah, picks. of course. Listen, if, if John Schneider, the GM for the, for the Seahawks, called Joe Douglas, the GM for the Jets, and, and said, hey, can we undo this thing? Yeah, I, maybe we made a mistake here. Joe would be like, hey, I, I love you, bud. You know, we've been friends for a long time. I love you more now after you made this trade with me, <laughs> but I really love Elijah Baron Tucker, who I got as you know part of the package deal 
and the offensive line. And I really love having this, this second first-round pick again this year with a, uh, you know, a, a rookie quarterback coming off his first year, going into his second year in Wilson, and a young organization. We hit on a bunch of other picks, and, and now we've got four picks, and I think in the top 40. I know four picks in the first two rounds, but I believe in the top 40 overall. So you've got your quarterback. You added some, some quality players at, at, uh, at the wide receiver position and the cornerback position. Uh, in, in the draft last year. Also did some nice things in free agency with the offensive line and moved some pieces around. So this, I know the win-loss record doesn't show it, but this organization is improving and it's starting to, to hit a positive trajectory, which it had not in so many years. But again, Joe knows the pressure. I talked to him at the Senior Bowl for about a half hour before practice and he was just saying how, how excited he is. Like what an opportunity, not only to have four picks in the top 40, but to spend a whole week with half of the senior bowl players here and to actually get to know them. Like, how, how do they learn? How do they pick things up? What kind of personalities do they have? Do they fit what, what our culture is supposed to be? So he's in, a, in an optimal situation for an organization that hasn't won a lot of games in, in many years uh, to rebuild this thing. And it's not going to be overnight, but this draft and last year's draft will be the cornerstone. If Joe Douglas is able to turn this thing around, with the coaching staff and everyone in the organization, we'll go back to the 2021 and 2022 drafts. All the capital they build up, all the, the moving around, the trades that they made for veteran players to get more picks to draft them their way, just like Ozzie did for so many years with the Baltimore Ravens. And that's exactly who Joe Douglas learned under for, for more than a decade in this business. Let's move forward to the Colts. In this trade last year with the Philadelphia Eagles for Carson Wentz, looks a lot different, not just after the season, but after what took place yesterday, Super Bowl Sunday, with reporting from Chris Mortensen that the future for Carson Wentz in Indianapolis looks bleak, as in he could be cut or traded before a $15 million base salary contract guarantee kicks in on March 19th. Todd, if he gets cut, that alone tells you how much of a failure this trade is. A first-round pick for one year of a guy, you didn't get to the playoffs. I mean, I guess a trade could change a narrative a little bit, but this is another one where I'm imagining Indy has some buyer's remorse knowing now what we know. Yeah, obviously. I mean, Field, this is a disaster. Uh, and, it, and it really, I mean, I know he didn't play great in the playoffs and, and he was kind of up and down, but this shocks me. If, if that's what ultimately happens, it, it really is a huge surprise to me because I, I thought that they were going to build around him for the ne- next several years. So now you're in this, this AFC with Joe Burrow and Josh Allen and Justin Herbert and Lamar Jackson and all these great uh, – Patrick Mahomes just, just conveniently left him out. All these great young quarterbacks, and you had a guy who could at least put you in a competitive spot, but now you got to start over in a year where you don't have a pick at 16 because you traded that pick away to, to, to get him, and, and there's no quarterbacks that, that you're going to bring in. So what's the plan? I mean, it, uh, seriously, what is the plan? That's, that's the hard part to understand. Obviously, there's a lot going on behind the scenes. I, I can't praise Chris Ballard enough. I've done it on this show and every other ESPN outlet that we have. I, I think he's one of the best GMs in terms of talent evaluating there is and just kind of getting the big picture. But this is a tough, tough pill to swallow. When you give away a first-rounder to bring in a quarterback – you think the relationship is there with the head coach and the quarterback. You think that you're finally that like that's the missing piece because we built both sides of the ball really well. That's the missing piece, and they showed it late this season. Like that's what they can be, 
And now all of a sudden the marriage breaks up and you, you lose half your assets and you got to start over. And I, I just, this to me is one of the most perplexing off-season moves now that we're in the off-season uh, that, that you could have ever thrown at me in terms of what could happen in the NFL. Yeah, Todd, I, I think when you look at it, guys, and, and, Field, and, and Todd, I thought it was a heck of a move. I applauded the mm. move of getting uh, Carson Wentz. I thought it was, boy, he's going to get you in the playoffs. He's still got a lot of really good years left. Okay, But it didn't work out. That Jacksonville Jaguar game, you're going to blame that on Wentz? Okay, that final game? Really? You saw the first drive of that game? The rookie quarterback for the Jaguars, who had been struggling that offense, went right down the field, 7 nothing. That's the first time I think they had a touchdown on the first drive all year. Maybe the second one. Okay, That defense allowed a 7 nothing lead immediately when you needed that game to win. You had to have that game. So, And you look at the needs of the Colts. It's offensive line. You had a left tackle retire, right? You have a receiver situation after Pittman. What do you really have there? So it's interesting that the two top needs are offense. And now we're after one year. He's like you said, Todd, reunited with Frank Reich. Right, he had that great season with Frank Reich in Philadelphia. Yeah. After one year, you know, one year when you're with new guys and a new element, and you had you had issues with offensive tackle and wide receiver. Right, you're going to cut the cord and cut them loose. And, but who's going to step in there? Who's going to be the guy? Sam Ellinger? Who's I? I don't know what the as you say. What's the plan here? I don't know. I don't know. Carson Wentz is he? Is all of a sudden he's a reject? Right. You can't play. Are you kidding me? I, I don't. I don't get this. I don't, number one, the lack of patience. Number two, this jump to the conclusion that we got to get better. Well, if you're going to get better, who are you going to bring in? So, like I said, Ballard better have a plan here uh, because he had Phillip Rivers for a year. He had Wentz for a year. And now you don't have a one. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I would stick with Carson Wentz. That's me. Obviously, you hear that they're not. We'll see how this all shakes down. I'm confused by exactly what Mel's talking about. What's the plan now? I just I don't understand. And, and what, is, it so, is it so bad that you can't repair the relationship, like, here's the bottom line. Bring in another quarterback. Bring in a veteran. Draft a quarterback early in the second. Package some picks. Move up late in the first and go bring in another quarterback if you want him to compete. But unless you're bringing in Aaron Rodgers or Deshaun Watson or, or, or Russell Wilson, and, I, and I've heard nothing about that. I don't know. Maybe, maybe I, I haven't read, read the Internet well enough recently. Maybe you guys have heard something differently, but I've heard nothing about the Colts being in, in the market for any one of those big-name quarterbacks or, or any of the second-tier quarterbacks that could be available. So what's the plan? And then the second part is this information gets out, and now all of a sudden, like I don't think you're going to get a whole lot for trade value after one year there with the injuries he's had in the past with Carson Wentz. But still, now that everyone in the league knows that you're going you're to get rid of them, if, that, if the, this report is completely accurate, they're just going to let him go. And all of, all of a sudden, you're just letting this guy go. He's just walking out of the building, nothing in return. And, and ultimately, you're not, getting, you're not getting anything back from a, a draft capital perspective. It's just the whole thing is shocking to me. Very perplexing, and perhaps the theme of this NFL offseason could be quarterbacks on the move. We know there are several that are either unhappy, perhaps looking to demand a trade. Not a major free agent class, but should be a very busy quarterback carousel. Let's wrap up the last two. We'll each give each of you sort of a two-for-one special year. They're both in the NFC West. Feels like the first one, it's hard to say much. It's the 49ers trade up for Trey Lance. They still owe this year's pick 29 and next year's pick as well to Miami. And the second one is, of course, Matthew, Matthew Stafford. Uh, Los Angeles is making that trade 1,000 times out of 1,000. The validation came last night, Mel. Uh, but any thoughts on those two NFC West trade-ups? 
Yeah, the trade Lance trade, you got to do. I mean, it's all about the quarterback position. Jimmy G is there. He's going to be traded to Pittsburgh, Washington for a second-round pick. We'll have to see how that goes. But in terms of Trey Lance, that's obviously the key guy, the development. They know what he's doing internally. First one in, last one out. What, you know, how's he taken to everything there? How does the team respond to him? Obviously, a tremendously talented kid. There's no way you could have expected him this year. He didn't. He never played against a, a, a major college football team. You know, he had one game that year coming into the draft, and that was against Central. Arkansas. So to expect him to come in and magically be the guy was ridiculous nonsense all along anyway. So you saw what he could do. You saw some of that skill set on display at certain times this year. And if they believe he's ready, then you move on with Jimmy him. Jimmy G's traded for a two. If you can get a second round pick from Pittsburgh, Washington. And now it's the Trey Lance era begins, which we all expect to happen here. So I have no issue here. People say, well, they should have taken Mac Jones. Really? If they felt like Trey Lance was the quarterback, you yeah, take Trey please. Lance. Mac's in a perfect spot in New England. I'm not going to second guess that, Todd. They took the quarterback they wanted. They went and got him aggressively. You, got to, you can't disagree with the move. Now, whether Trey Lance it's going to be great or not. We'll see. But I love teams that make bold moves to get quarterbacks. Yeah. Like I said, like I said before, you got to take your hacks. And that's what Sam Fran did. And it's a perfect situation because Jimmy G got an opportunity. I mean, they, they, were, they were almost in the Super Bowl. And he got a chance to show what he can do. And it's very evident while he's a, a solid to good quarterback, he's not the guy. You know, you, you can't trust him to lead you there unless everything around him is perfect. And it was pretty close with Sam Fran, with the defense, the way it was playing, and, and Debo Samuel, you know, emerging as one of the best offensive weapons in the NFL. It was pretty close, but it, what was missing? It was the quarterback being able to make key plays and the quarterback being able to prevent opportunities for the defense to, to turn the ball over and make big plays on that side of the ball. He just had too many mistakes in critical situations. So you gave him the shot to, to earn the, the job and to be the guy for the future, and he did a really good job, but he didn't do enough. And it's not worth it to, to scrap that first-round pick in Trey Lance and to go and, and commit to Jimmy G for the long term. But I, I love the way they handled it yeah, because I, you have a short-term. Right, Todd, got I, got you, I got you what and you're now, saying. And now Trey Lance. Right. Yeah. I got you on that. I, what I disagree with is the criticism. Jimmy G was playing with that thumb. And the throw ball, you were quarterback, Todd. To have that thumb injury, he played yeah. in Green Bay, got the win there, and then the Rams game got him at the end with the pass rush. Obviously, but it's always something, though. He's always, he's always injured, Kai. Well, that's true, but the thumb is the reality. Throwing a football with a thumb like that and gutting it out and the way that team yeah. rallied around him and the comments about Jimmy G from the team, they love this guy because he toughs it yeah, out. Yeah, I agree with that. Play I agree. that injury. So what I'm saying here is he's like Alex Smith. Remember Alex Smith? You had Mahomes, you trade Alex Smith, right? So all of a sudden now he moves on. Is it Washington? Is it Pittsburgh? Somebody for a second-round pick is going to get a quarterback that went to a Super Bowl and almost had a team in a Super Bowl this year. So for Jimmy G, I applaud him. I thought the fight through that thumb injury and the, and the gut it out the way he did, uh, like I say, I have nothing but praise yep. for Jimmy Garoppolo and the guts he showed, uh, like I said, and getting that team on the doorstep of, and a couple plays away from being in a Super Bowl. I just mentioned that quarterback carousel. Jimmy G will be one of the quarterbacks along for the ride there. We're going to come back and hit a couple of our favorite segments, Mel Unfiltered and Todd's Spotlight. But first, the Mean and Kime Show featuring Lenny is a podcast that brings you the latest news and trends in and around the NFL. Join Mina with guests like Dominic Foxworth, amongst a host of others from ESPN and our talent roster. If you like X's and O's, analytics, and probably too much dog talk because Lenny is a dog after all, then give the Mina Kime Show featuring Lenny a listen wherever you get 
your podcasts. I think one of these days we're going to eventually have a timer on the clock for Mel Kuyper as we go to Unscripted, where Mel gets to rant about whatever has caught his mind recently. We do not yet have that timer and that clock. So instead, I just say to you, Mel Kuyper, you've been watching tape endlessly over the past week. (laughs) I'm sure Todd does, uh, probably at all times. But, Mel, you've been watching tape over the past week. Who are some players that have caught your eye upon a rewatch in recent film evaluation? Yeah, late last night after the game was over, I saw one guy. And, Todd, this morning I saw (laughs) two more. So I got three. The notes are right here. I I write the notes. I don't put them in a computer or anything like that or in your phone or whatever the heck you guys do. But I'll go to Sky Moore. I'll start out with, Todd, wide receiver Western Michigan. I watched the Pitt game and the Northern Illinois game. 5'10", 195. He can be slot. He can be wide. For my notes, tremendously explosive. Gets easy separation. I mean, he catches the ball. He can After the catch, great yards after the catch. Stiff arm he used. Uh, breaks tackles. Love that. Uh, you know, he is a, a, a pit game. He had 11 catches for a buck 24 and a touchdown. Northern Illinois had 12 catches for 206 and four touchdowns. He was a quarterback back in a DB in high school, point guard on a basketball team. Well, Sky Moore from Western Michigan. I think third round isn't too high for me. I'll take this kid in the third round and love the pick of Sky Moore, wide receiver, Western Michigan. Now we go to an interior guy on the defensive line and an edge guy. I'll start out with Noah Ellis. Idaho. Father Luther Ellis, D-line coach there. A couple sons. One son played in the NFL. You're talking about Noah Ellis. What's he, about three? Todd, what do you got him at? 350? 340? Would I love to bet this kid? The Northern Arizona game. He had six total tackles, a tackle for loss. Plays with power in his hands. He's got the club move. He gets off blocks. I tell you, very athletic for his size. I think third round for Noel is in too high. A big guy like that who can get into the backfield and be disruptive, like what I saw of him. Then we'll go to the final guy, Alex Wright, UAB edge guy. I saw him with a hand in the ground. I saw him playing as an outside backer, 6'6", 270. Length, the explosiveness you see. You can shade him inside as well in certain situations he made plays. He's got all kinds of moves getting after the quarterback. The Florida Atlantic game, he was unblockable. Uh, you know, he gets inside pressure out. Outside pressure. Alex Wright, UAB Todd, mark him down as a day two selection. So I love the guys I got. Ellis, defensive tackle, uh, Wright, outside linebacker, defensive end, and Sky Moore, wide receiver, Western Michigan. Wow. Two minutes and 25 seconds. That, that's not bad, Kyle. Pretty good, yeah. I'm impressed. You know what I love about it, honestly? It's just a little bit of a glimpse into that beautiful mind. You ever see that movie? <laughs> beautiful mind. Kind of like all, you know, you walk into the garage and there's just notes everywhere and, and strings and detached and this and that. It's kind of, that's exactly what I feel like is going on in that room every single day between now and the last weekend in April, getting ready. You just have, you know, there, there could be a player's face, like a knife sticking into it. Who knows how you, you sort it all out and get it to those 400 pieces of paper. Here's some of it. I'll show you what it looks like. Yeah, that's yeah. The front yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not telling pretty, you, I've not for, pretty. For 10 years now. No, for 10 years, and I see you at players' pictures like this. Boom, 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 boom. Papers flying everywhere. It's a mess. But you pull it all together, man, and I'm, I'm always impressed. That the process is wild, but the result is Mel Kuyper Jr. He's the best. Well, I've lost all my notes now. I'm supposed well, to talk so about Well, so, Todd, can we still players. do the spotlight or no? Because I'll give you the names here. Boy, Mafe, the edge from Minnesota. I got him. One, okay, you got him. All right, so, Todd, your chance. Uh, I don't know if Mel – Mel, do you own an Apple uh, – an iPhone or no? iPhone guy, because does no. your whatever phone you own does it have a timer? If so, you're allowed to turn it on right now. Otherwise, Todd, spotlight begins. No, I'll just try to do. It. I'll just I'll, I'll do it in the old school way. 
I'll do it. Just count in your head. One Mississippi, two Mississippi. Boye Mafe. Boye Mafe. Let's get focused now, Kuiper. Boye Mafe. Edge rusher, Minnesota. The more I watch this guy, the more I love him. He's not polished. He has some work that he has to do at the, at the next level. But he's going to get with an NFL coaching staff. And I think this guy is going to skyrocket. I think he's going to be one of the best edge rushers in what is turning out to be one of the best edge rush classes we've had in a decade with, with obviously Kayvon Thibodeau, Aiden Hutchinson at the top, Trayvon Walker, Jermaine Johnson from Florida State. But Mafe just continues to show up. The Senior Bowl was an excellent exclamation point on a great week that he had at at Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Explosive first step, long 33-inch arms. He's six foot four. He's about 258 pounds. I think that's what he measured in in Mobile. This guy is a dynamic playmaker. You saw the seven sacks. You can see it right there. He has length. He has explosion. When he gets his hands all worked out, I think he's going to be a phenomenal player. I, I personally think he's right on the fringe in terms of first round when it comes to talent-wise. Maybe he's not quite as polished as guys like Jermaine Johnson and certainly not Aiden Hutchinson, but I think he's got his just, just, just as much of an upside in terms of what he can be as a pass rusher off the edge in the NFL. The next guy on my list, going to the offensive side, Wandale Robinson, wide receiver from Kentucky. This year's been wild with all the, the red shirts and are they COVID red shirts and who's coming, who's going. We finally got the, the official list from the NFL and Robinson kind of was wavering, but he decided he's going to be in this draft. And I'm excited to see what he can do in the league. He's a slot receiver. He's a jitterbug. He's, he's everything you think of in terms of a slot receiver. Guy, get him on screens. Look, look at the suddenness. It's like some guys have that lateral shiftiness, and then some guys have that big burst acceleration. He's got both of it. And that's why I'm not saying he's Debo Samuel, but he, he's kind of got that in him where he can do a lot of things. He had seven carries, averaged 11 yards per carry on – no, 16 yards per carry on his seven carries this year. And just look at him with the ball in his hands. So screens, quick game. He's not afraid to work over the middle of the field. He's only 5'11", about 185 pounds. But he transferred from Nebraska, had a monster season this past year at Kentucky. The Wildcats were hoping he was going to come back. He decides to go to the NFL. And there's going to be a team somewhere on day two, I believe, that's looking for a slot receiver to kind of finish out their receiving core. And he'll be a perfect fit. I, th- I think he's going to have really good success in the league because it's, it's built for his game now. Get, get the ball in his hands and let me beat you one-on-one in space. And he's proven that at a high level play in the, in the SEC this past year. Mel, your thoughts here as we get to the uh, closing moments here for Chef. Your thoughts on a couple of uh, Todd spotlight players. I think Todd went over two. I did three and 230. Todd did two and about 430. So we'll, we'll give him a little bit of time. That's okay. <laughs> we'll excuse you for today, Todd. But to go to Todd's guys, got Mafe I talked about last week. So I'll, I'll go to Todd, hit it there on Mafe. But Wandale Robinson, electric player. And there's a lot of guys in that third, fourth, fifth round area. Somebody's going to get lost in the shuffle there. You think about Robinson, you think about a guy like Khalil Shakir at Boise State, Kyle Phillips at UCLA, Mm -hmm. a lot of receivers. I think the depth at that position, Todd, is going to allow for somebody to steal a player on day three. When we're sitting there in Vegas day three, there's going to be some good slot guys and even some guys wide. I mentioned Sky Moore, Western Michigan. Will he be there on day three? Maybe he is. Maybe he's one of those guys we're highlighting in the fourth, fifth round. So I think the the depth and the wealth of talent at that position is, is pretty good this year. Yeah, it seems like a good, good year to find an edge rusher. We're starting to sort of see the draft class take some shape as the Super Bowl is now behind us. 
The Senior Bowl is now behind us, which means that we are looking forward to the franchise tag window and free agency. But more pertinent to the draft, of course, is the NFL Combine just a few weeks away from when we are having this conversation right now on Valentine's Day. I'm just glad we didn't talk about punters today. That was pretty electric last week, Todd. I saw that 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 was a popularly discussed reaction segment after last week's talk from Mel Kuyper. We haven't even gotten into the guy from San Diego State yet, by the way, which some are considering him a major, major weapon in this year's draft. Uh, for Todd McShay and Mel Kuyper Jr., I am Field Yates. First draft is available every Monday live at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Hopefully you checked out the live stream with us today. We also have a second episode on Thursdays. Mel and Todd start off the show with a guest following in behind them. Mel and Todd, we'll talk to you again soon. Great job, as always.